All right, real quick, people, before we get into today's show, we've just released a new course, Periodization for Periods, all around how to train women around their monthly cycle, and we've got it on special. If you're interested, click the link in the show notes. You are now listening to the Fitness Education Online Podcast, the podcast where fitness professionals go to grow their fitness business. If you're in the fitness industry, you'll find tips and strategies from proven business experts. Now, let's start the show. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fitness Education Online Podcast. I'm your host, Jono, and I am super excited because firstly, we have an awesome guest, but also we have a different topic. A lot of the people we have on this podcast, I'll speak about resistance training or training pregnant women or menopausal women or social media or or sales. But today we're going to be speaking about something different, but just as if not more important, and that's risk management. So I've reached out to Guild Insurance and who we've got here is their risk services manager, the one and only Christy Boucher. Christy, how are you? I'm very good. Thanks, John. Great to be here with you today. Great to have you on. Do you want to start by let, uh, letting the listeners know a little bit about you, Christy? Who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? Give us that background. Sure thing. So as you said, I'm the risk manager at Guild Insurance. I've been here for about 10 years now. So obviously been doing this for quite a while. It's it's quite an interesting job and it really, I think, keeps things a little bit different in what I do. So it's it's quite interesting. We come across a lot of really interesting facts and figures, which I'm really keen to share with you and your listeners today. So the role really is very much an education type role. So I spend a lot of my time analysing and and understanding what are the claims that come through to us at Guild. So that means what are our our insureds or our customers, what are their clients complaining about? And so particularly in the case with fitness, generally we see when people are injured, what are they complaining about? What's actually happening? And why are they therefore making some sort of complaint, which then for us becomes an insurance claim. Mm. So as I said, I've been doing this for a long time. The education aspect of what I do is very close to my heart because I actually started my career as a school teacher, but also fitness is very close to my heart because I started my career as a PE teacher. So, you know, I work a lot across a lot of industries here at Guild, but as I said, it's very close to my heart because it's an area that I did study myself, having a degree in human movement. So I got a real interest from that education side of what I do, but also the health and fitness aspect is really interesting for me as well. Great. So just to make sure I understand that, your role is kind of you see all the claims coming in and you want to try and reduce them i'm guessing so your job is to kind of educate fitness exactly. professionals personal trainers and say hey these are things that are happening here are the things you can do so that you don't end up in that situation more exactly less, right? exactly yep yep it's exactly what it is so it's really about understanding what people complain about and therefore helping people to understand well what can you therefore do differently do more of less of what can you change to make the way you operate, the way you run your business, the way you run your training sessions? How can you do that in a safer way so we therefore don't see or see a lot less likely those injuries? We don't see your customers complaining and we don't have those insurance claims. Love it. Well, let's dive in. Just before we Excellent. do, I'll share kind of my understanding of risk management and let me know if I'm on the money or let me know your take. Cool. So my understanding, Chris, or my exercise in general I think that's potentially a risky thing, right? If someone is exercising, there are risks that are involved. So I think our job as fitness professionals in terms of risk management is to try and manage or minimize that risk as much as possible. But I think it's also awareness too. So it's like saying to the clients, hey, these are the risks involved. Um, a, are you cool? a, make sure you know I'm going to do everything I can to minimize them, but B, make sure you know, you're aware of them too. Am I on the money or, or what's your take risk management? Yeah, look, very much. That's exactly what it is. And, you know, I, I often joke with people that I think when I start to talk about risk management, people think I'm the sort of fun police who just, I just want to tell people to stop doing things. And that's not it at all. It's very much, as you said, that to understand that in pretty much everything we do in life, there is yeah, risk. Good point. Most not even professionals, just exercise. Yeah. Not at all. Most professionals have some element of risk in what they do. We have risk every time we get into a car, every time yeah. we cross a road. There is always risk. Some risks we can eliminate, but we can't mm. eliminate all risk from our lives and we don't want to. Yeah. We don't want people to stop exercising. Yeah. We want to help, as you said, both trainers, but also their customers and their clients to understand, well, how can I do this a little bit safer? Mm. And the key way to do that is that starting point, as you mentioned, to actually understand and to recognize that what they're doing carries risk. Mm. If you don't acknowledge there's risk involved in something, 
you're not going to minimize the risk. You're not going to do what Mm. you can do to mitigate it. Much the same as I said, there's always risk when you get in a car. That's why we put on a seatbelt when we get in our car. That's why we don't get in the car when we're drunk. That's Mm. why we follow the rules with the stop signs and and traffic lights and all those sorts of things because we know there's risk, but we're going to follow those certain rules to lower that risk. Mm. Same as when we exercise, we're not going to stop exercising. But we're going to be more aware of what are the sorts of things that often causes injuries. So how can we do that exercise in a way that is safer to reduce the likelihood of someone ending up injured and and that that risk actually eventuating for them. So it's that starting with that awareness raising and then what can you do to minimise, acknowledging you can't eliminate the risk, but you can definitely work with it and understand what the risk is and, and work to reduce that risk. Gotcha. All right. Well, I think we can do this two different ways. Let me know which one works better with you, Christy. I think we can either go from the start of the client journey and be like, right, a client first inquires or first walks into the gym or the boot camp. What's the first thing we need to do as a personal trainer or fitness professional work down there? Or we can go the opposite and be like, you can say to me, Jono, by far the most claim we see is this thing here. Here's some things you can do to, to minimize that there. Any preference to which way we go? Let's start with a client coming in first, I think. All right, let's do it. We can even do a bit of, bit of role playing here. Let's say I'm a personal trainer. I run my own boot camp. Um, someone's found me online and said, right, Jono, I want to come down for a trial session. I'm like, yep, um, come in you know, Monday, 6 a.m. What's the first thing I've got to do? First thing you really need to do is think about that individual client. One of the things we want people to avoid is to have a set type of session with a set program they do for every client. You need to understand that every single client is different. They're going to come in with their own expectations, but they'll also come in with their own personal situation in terms of their health, current injuries, current fitness levels, understanding of what it is that they want to do in terms of exercise. So spending some time with that client to make sure that you can offer them what they want in terms of their expectations, in terms of their fitness levels, what they want to achieve, the sort of exercise they want to do, but also taking some time to assess their current fitness levels. Now, Ozactive, who we work very closely with here at Guild Insurance, they do have a lot of information on that in terms of doing pre-exercise screening forms. Highly encourage not just having those forms completed, but actually using the content on those forms that the client gives you and I know that sometimes not always done particularly well, but using that information to then actually guide what it is you do with a client. So understanding their fitness levels, understanding when they last exercise, but understand if they've got any health issues. And that maybe in some of those cases, you might want to have some conversations with a client about getting some medical clearance, getting permission from health professionals to make sure they're exercising in a safe way and that they're okay to go ahead with the program. Whilst sometimes you're going to have those clients who just want to come in, turn up, ready to go. They're all excited. They finally got themselves motivated off the couch. and They just want to jump into the first session. Mm. They probably don't want to fill in the paperwork and have the conversations. And sometimes the trainers don't want to, you just want to get in and get active and start moving. Mm. But to do it safely, you need to really have those conversations and have a bit of a think about what's going to work here, what's most appropriate, what are the risks with this client from that first first starting session? What do we need to think about in terms of their health and fitness before we actually get going? Love it. I'll share my take there on a couple of those things. So from a practical side of things, I think in that situation as the fitness professional, it's even better to send those forms before that person even shows up. Because it's if I'm running that session at 6 a.m. and this person comes at a couple new people come at 555 and I'm reading these forms and trying to get there, it's it's really stressful, right? I think as a fitness professional, it's easier if you can say, Hey, right, yep, come down on on Monday, Christy. Um, but you need to have this form sent to me by Friday, 5 p.m. if you want to come down. I can then have a look at it, and then I can have these discussions even before that person comes in. Um, the the form that OSActive uses is the APSS. I'm, I think most of our listeners will probably be familiar with that. I think it's great because it yep. makes it pretty much black and white. There's the first page on there where there's six or seven questions, or there's six questions. If the person answers yes to any of those six, you need medical clearance. Right. It's yep. not even a, an opinion thing. It's like, I'm sure if that ended up in court or whatever, I'd probably lose if someone filled out that form, said yes to one of those and didn't do that. So I think that's key. There's also the exercise guidelines from there where there's a formula they've got. Hey, if you've been exercising X amount for X times, here's the intensity you should train at there. So there's another kind of really clear guideline. Um, and also the referral side of things, what I like to do with the referral side, OSActive also has a really good referral template letter because 
how it used to, and this will, this might be an interesting conversation for you, Christy, how it used to kind of work back in the day before all these forms were a lot more kind of formalized. Someone would come into the gym. I'd be like, yep, Christy, you know, go and get clearance from your GP. You would go to your GP. You'd come back and your clear GP would say, yes, this person can exercise. And it was just like, there was no guidance. <laughs> you know, it's like, it, yes, this person can exercise. Like, can they run a marathon? Can they do a bodybuilding competition? Yeah. Can they walk on the treadmill? And then even from the GP side, it's kind of like, well, what am I clearing him to do? What's this personal training going to do? So some of those templates are good because it will say, hey, I want this person to participate in a boot camp, which involves running and resistance training and flexibility at, at, at this intensity here. So I think, yeah, uh, that's my take there. Anything to add on that side of things, Christy? Let's take a quick break. When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. Completely agree with everything you've said there. And I, I guess it's then that there's then a, a responsibility on the fitness professional when you do get that clearance. If you don't get a lot of guidance from the doctor and you could just get something as simple as, you know, there's no health issues. So, yeah, they can sort of go for it. That's mm. obviously then when it's on the fitness professional to then still work out, well, okay, there's, as you said, are they running marathons or are mm. they starting really low levels? So then it's about, working out from a fitness perspective where do we need to start with this client because just because they're okay to exercise yeah doesn't mean they're going to run a marathon tomorrow so you know what level do you need to start them at to make sure it's safe that's great and that's a good point because the one thing that the APSS doesn't have is any kind of fitness testing so it's yep. kind of like um yeah yeah that's fine they're healthy but what well, I guess they've got the guidance for intensity but that's still pretty rough and some of the some of the things I've seen online, you know, people suing personal trainers and whatnot, a lot of it has been from that initial side of things. You know, the person comes in um, first session and the trainer gets some heavy leg press, heavy deadlift, you know, what, whatever it may be there. So I think that's key. And we might get into that a bit later as well. Well, I can um, add to that, actually. We, we oh, have yeah. seen a few a bit of that in our claims. So I'm happy to, to support yeah. that completely. We've seen, I've seen quite a few cases in the insurance claims that have come through to us where the person was doing their introductory session. So they've just joined a gym. Yeah. And they get like free PT session as yep. part of their sort of complimentary welcome to this gym. And their first complimentary session, they've injured themselves. Yeah. And quite often, I think it's because, because it's a complimentary session, there hasn't been that sort of background conversations and and checking mm. all the forms and working out exactly where the health and fitness is of this client and exactly what's appropriate and they've gone into straight into something like some heavy squats or heavy deadlifts haven't exercised for such a long time and there's an injury so we do definitely see injuries with clients in the really early stages of them working out now of course yeah. it can happen at any stage they could have been you know we can see injuries with people who are incredibly fit and been exercising every day for the last decade but we definitely do see those cases where someone has just started out introductory sessions, first boot camp session, and yeah, they've sustained an injury. Yeah, 100%. So I think that's a very important point for, for everyone listening. As uh, Christy mentioned, it can happen at any times, but you probably want to be extra careful on that first session there or, or first couple sessions. Uh, on that note there, Christy, waivers. So I'll share my understanding and, and I'd love to get yours. To my understanding, a waiver in Australia isn't like it is in some other countries, maybe the US. You can't really waive your duty of care. So someone may, you know, sign a waiver that says, hey, I'm not going to sue these people or whatever, but it doesn't really mean anything in Australia. My understanding is what's better than that is having some kind of form that says, hey, I understand there's these potential risks involved in exercise um, and, and the participant wants to continue exercising anyway. What's your take waivers and that that kind of disclaimer, I guess? Yeah, look, I have to make it clear I'm, I'm not a lawyer and this does become a very legal gotcha. area. So I, I okay. can only give sort of very limited information here. Um, we just to also to make the point that Guild Insurance, um, part of our company is Meridian Lawyers. We're, we're part of the one larger company here and Meridian Lawyers handle a lot of the claims for us. And they do have some information on their website about waivers where we did have a fitness case and there was a waiver in place 
the waiver was considered in the court, so this, this case did go to court, the waiver was considered, but the waiver was seen to be written so poorly that it didn't hold any weight. Wow. Um, that was by a so lawyer? Wait, that was by a lawyer? That, so that's that's a, a legal case of ours. So I'm happy yeah, to yeah. share that article with you if you want to make that available. Yeah, it is very great. important to understand that I think from a legal perspective, in some cases in our lives, waivers do have a place. But as I said, I'm not being a lawyer, I can't go into that. Yeah. Generally, our view from a risk management perspective is, yes, they don't protect you if you have done something that is negligent. So if the exercises you've prescribed someone were completely inappropriate, so the weights were too heavy, maybe you've had someone with who's got a back injury and you've given them some really heavy squats or something that just wasn't completely appropriate, having a waiver doesn't protect you from the negligence act that has potentially gotcha. caused an injury. So from a risk perspective, I would say that if you wanted to consider waivers, you actually need to get some legal advice because the way they're written will be very important. Mm. However, my advice as a risk manager is don't rely on a waiver. We yep. don't, well, I don't, don't encourage people to use them. Yep. What you do need to really think about is your risk processes. So it's more about having conversations with your clients that this particular um, activity could cause these injuries. You need to speak to me if you're feeling some discomfort. You know, mm. Constantly having conversations and open communication with your clients That's does great. so much more to manage the risk than having them sign a form. And you know, I know that these forms are used sometimes in the fitness industry, and we have seen some cases where our, our, our customers thought they didn't have to worry about a, a client complaining because they'd signed a form, mm. but that's not the case. So it's really about your professional obligation and the need to meet that, whether or not there's a form signed, doesn't change anything. So definitely I would advise to not focus on creating waivers, but focus on what you can do to reduce the injury so the clients don't actually face any risk and don't get injured. Great advice. Awesome. All right, let's continue on this journey. So we've done the pre-screening. We've um, we've done all the paperwork. This person's come in. It's five minutes early. Now, my thinking would be the next thing from there is probably we check out the area, whether we're in the gym doing a PT session, we're in a group fitness class, we're in a boot camp. We want to have a look around and make sure there's no hazards or what do we do there? Yeah. And this is a big issue that we see. Obviously, we see a lot of cases where people are injured because of the actual type of exercise they're doing. But we yeah. also see a lot of cases where people are in injured because of the environment in which they're in. Yeah. So if you're outdoors, often you don't have complete control over that environment. So you need to be checking things like if it's been just really cold overnight or been wet, you're going to have potentially slippery surfaces on the grass that you're using. Or if you're using bench seats for step-ups, for example, they're probably mm -hmm. going to be a bit slippery. If you're in a grass area, do you have potholes around that might not stand out particularly well until someone actually finds it by tripping in it? So mm -hmm. it's thinking about that physical environment. But even if you're in a more sort of stable, I guess, controlled environment inside a fitness centre, one of the challenges I think that fitness professionals have is that those environments never stay completely stable and safe. Yeah. So people are constantly moving equipment around, not yeah. putting equipment away. You can tell them to put it away, put signs up to remind people to put them away, but people yeah. won't always put everything away. It doesn't happen. So we've seen quite a few cases where people have tripped over equipment that's been left out. They've just tripped over things, you know, stepped off um stepped off treadmills onto a rope that's been left on the ground, mm. sandbags left lying around. People have just stepped, tripped over them. Water, we've I'm even, guessing, is another big one. Someone's spilled their water, water or whatever. Bottles, yep. Surprisingly, we've even seen an issue with ceiling fans. If you've got a low ceiling and ceiling fans, you do anything where people are any sort of yeah. height, doing jumps or whatever it might be. So really thinking broadly about risk in terms of the environment. Well, what I often say to people if, is if there is a way of someone falling or tripping over in a gym, they will find that. So it's, you know, in ways you probably wouldn't often expect that someone, what they would trip over, you would often think that a fairly large piece of equipment will be seen by someone. Mm. But if they're focusing on what they're doing, if they're doing something where maybe they're walking backwards or walking sideways, if they're you know, in a lot of pain, or not, you know, pain when I talk about in terms of exercising, they're really focusing on what it is they're doing often they just won't notice those things that you think should be obvious. So you really need to think outside the square about what someone might walk into, trip over, bump into, jump into. It's it's really quite varied. So definitely thinking about that environment because without a doubt that does create additional risk on top of the exercise that's actually being undertaken. Mm. And any kind of tips there? I'm getting like my thinking is, right, I'm going to get there early. I'll share what I used to do when I ran a boot camp. 
is I'd get there early. I'd obviously have a look myself, but I'd even kind of do some of the stuff myself. Like if I was going to run to the cone and back, right, let me actually do that run. How slippery is the grass? You know, how slippery is is the surface there? Right, let me test these. Uh, oh, equipment's probably a different one. We'll speak equipment later, I guess. Um, but yeah, any tips apart from, I guess, just looking at the place and kind of going through it yourself? I think that's that's a, that's a you know really great example of actually do it. It's one thing to think, oh, this grass shouldn't be too slippery if you just feel it, but actually yeah. do the exercise I think is fantastic. Also then challenge yourself to think, but what are you going to do if you do find something? How Are you, are you yeah, ready to modify your, your activity? Because I think sometimes I've definitely seen cases where people say, look, I knew there was a pothole. I just told people to avoid it. Like, well, yeah, that's, that's not great. always going to be effective. What can you do to maybe put a witch's hat over the yeah. pothole so it actually stands out or completely move where you're exercising? Or are you going to say, look, the glass is a bit slippery. We're going to monitor. We're not going to do the same running. We're yeah. going to we're going to change the workout. We're not going to do the running backwards with sandbags, for example. Yeah. We're going to change it, maybe make some things a little bit easier or just – so be prepared to – Act on – so you need to find those risks, but then you need to act on them. And we yeah. definitely see cases, as I mentioned, where people find it, but they don't really know what to do about it, and they're not ready to modify. And I think that's a challenge for fitness professionals. You'll turn up to your sessions ready because you know what you're going to be doing today. But as you've mentioned and suggested, turn up early, look for things, try things out, and mm. be prepared to make those changes. And that's a challenge, I guess, to think on your feet and – have some background ideas in your mind about, well, what else could you do? If we can't do this because of the environment, we need to have a backup plan. We need to be ready for something else. So be prepared to make those changes on the fly. And it might even be partway through the session, you find another risk. Be prepared to stop everyone, change everything. Might not be what you want to do, but you need to keep adapting to the risks that you see around you. Mm, Okay, great. Awesome. Love it. All right. So that all makes sense. Now I'm guessing we get to the actual exercise side of things. What can you tell us there, Christy? What kind of claims do you see? What kind of things do we need to be? And I guess this is kind of two avenues. This is or many different ones. I guess it's exercise selection. I guess it's exercise weight. I guess it's equipment. What what can you tell us there? So there's two key aspects I see where exercise selection goes a bit wrong. So firstly, it's about picking the appropriate exercise for that particular client. So as I mentioned at the start of the session, you have to remember to tailor things for every individual client. I've definitely seen cases where people, trainers have said, oh, I always run that particular activity in in my introductory session. It might not be right for someone who's maybe an older adult who hasn't exercised for 10 years. You're not going to do for them what you do for a 20-year-old who's been exercising every day regularly. So don't have the set activities. Think about how you're going to tailor it for that particular client. We've seen a number of cases too where clients who have been injured say, I told the trainer it was too heavy, I wasn't comfortable, Mm -hmm. I've done too many sets, too many reps. So really think about with that exercise selection, is the actual specific exercise appropriate, but also is the weight appropriate? Is it too high, too hard, we've been going for too long? Whatever it might be, really think about appropriate exercise selection and tailoring the exercise. The other area that I see things go wrong quite a bit is trainers being very creative in the sorts of exercises they choose. Mm. Now, I completely get where that creativity comes from. And to a point, I love it. You want to obviously make exercise fun for people. You want them to enjoy the session. You want them to keep coming back. You want to get those benefits out of it. The more they enjoy it, the more likely they're going to keep doing it. So I completely understand that creativity. However, we see a lot of claims where the creativity has gone too far and the exercise starts to become a little bit unsafe. Mm. So if you're using equipment not in the way it's designed, that can create risk. So we've seen things such as wrapping a resistance band around a piece of equipment in a fitness center and that piece of equipment was not designed to be pulled on and it's actually toppled over. Mm. So that's one example we've seen heaps of of examples though where people are in fitness centers using equipment not for what that equipment is actually designed for. Mm. It can work but it can create risk. So what you really need to think about when you're choosing the exercise is balancing the creativity with the benefit. If the creativity and and also the risk, sorry. So if you're looking at the the risk versus benefit, so if the the benefit's going to be really high, they're going to get a great workout, they're they're going to enjoy it, but they're also going to get a a great actual physical workout. But it's a pretty risky activity and there's a high chance of injury. That's not worth it. You Mm -hmm. need to lower the risk while keeping that creativity and interest there 
but you've got to lower the risk. Mm. So it's about stopping thinking what can go wrong before it does. So in risk management, I like to flip a common term where people often talk about, you know, when something's happened, we often talk about don't just stand there, do something. I like to flip that from when we talk about risk management. So don't just do something, stand there. So before you go ahead and do the exercise, stand there and think, what could actually go wrong here? What could happen if I use this equipment in this way? Could it topple over? Could something fall off, fall over? Could the client fall over? You'd even mentioned trying things yourself. Now, obviously, be very careful doing that. Mm. But that can even help sometimes to think about, okay, I can see how they're going to get a physical benefit here, but what could actually go wrong? So really, maybe even stop and think about um, talking to your colleagues. So if you're in a fitness center and you've got other trainers there, say to them, look, I'm thinking of trying this exercise. Can you see anything? What, what do you reckon could go wrong with this? Can you see any risks? Let's have a talk through this. So stop and think about the exercise before you do it because we definitely have seen too many cases where people are getting creative and they might get the physical workout, but unfortunately we see some really quite serious injuries from that. Mm, I think it's important on both of those as well. Even when you mentioned the earlier one, which is exercise selection, is the exercise appropriate? Um, you know, is the weight appropriate? Because I think also as trainers, we can think, well, our job is to push that person. Our, our job is to get mm. them to do that little bit more. But I think it's that same kind of thing. You know, it's like if that person says, oh, you know, this weight's uh, um, the risk reward kind of thing. Or if that person's like, oh, this weight's a bit heavy. Oh, okay. Can you do one more set? How much do you think you've got in you? Where does, oh, it hurts you back? No, no, it hurts you back. Don't even worry. We're not going there, you know? Or, you know, you're doing a bicep curl. Oh, it's just a bit of muscle soreness. Okay, maybe we can go there. It sounds like that's a bit of a balancing act as yeah. well, that first one. Would you, what, what's your take Completely. there? Completely. And, and and look, there's no easy solution for managing that. And that's where people yeah. need to use their professional judgment. Yeah. I would always recommend as a risk manager to err on the side of caution because that's what we do in risk management. But I can understand that challenge that your job as a trainer is to push and encourage this person. Mm -hmm. If they didn't want that pushing and encouragement, they would just exercise alone and not be using a trainer. Mm -hmm. So it is balancing. Yes, that's your job. You need to be pushing and encouraging, trying them to go a bit further than they have before. But I guess it's really using your judgment about what it is they're saying. So if they're saying they're feeling a bit tired, maybe they can go a bit longer. As you suggested, if they're saying that sort of hurt my back, to me, that's a pretty clear time to know just stop because, you know, obviously we see a lot of back injuries, quite serious. If they're saying, look, my knee felt a bit uncomfortable, I'd be stopping. You'll get to know your clients, I guess, too. And sometimes you'll get to know, look, some people maybe do pull out a bit sooner and maybe sometimes you could push them a bit more, but Mm. I would recommend just that erring on the side of caution. Means sometimes they might not get the full benefit but they would prefer that to not being injured. So yeah. have the conversation with them too. When they're, when they're starting to question the exercise, ask them why. So what's feeling uncomfortable? What's hurting? Maybe it's about modifying the exercise. So it mm. might not be stopping. You might just be dropping the weight or you might just be saying, okay, we'll, we'll stop after one set or we'll do a few reps. So can you slightly change it or do you just need to stop them? And that's really the professional judgment of a trainer and that needs to come into that, that space. Yeah. But I would really encourage trainers to really – I guess challenge themselves with knowing when to just say, okay, we're going to stop here. We we are going to take that more cautious approach because mm. you, we want people to be to be getting healthier and fitter. Injuries is the last thing you go to a gym to to, to get, and that's not why you're there because then you're going to be out of exercise for a long time. So, really using that professional judgment when to say, nah, we're done. Stop now. Yeah, and I think I'll, I'll add to that. There's a couple of things I'll add there. There is a, a famous case that was in the news. Couple of years ago, I'm sure I think you would have seen it. It was like a a trainer running a boot camp at a beach, and the client was like, was doing sit ups with a med ball or something. And the client was like, um, ah, oh, you know, I've, I've been out drinking last night, so you know, I might take it a bit easy. And the trainer was like, no, nah, no, nah, we're going to smash this hangover. You know, let's keep going. And they kept going, and the client had a back injury. And I think the client was a lawyer or something as well. So you know, they took them to court, <laughs> and it didn't kind of uh, yep. end well. But I think that's maybe a good example there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also it depends on the 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 client more than anything. Like I feel if I go to a personal trainer and I said to that personal trainer, hey, I want you to push me. Whatever I say, push me. Okay, that personal trainer, still they're going to order on the, the side of safety, but they've probably got a little bit more license to push me that little bit more. If my mum goes in and she's like, oh, look, I haven't exercised a while. I just want to move. You know, if I can get a bit better, that's great. Well, you're going to be a bit, you don't need to necessarily push that person as much as you would someone like me. So I think it's important to know that client style and, and what they want as well. What's- I would also encourage with that though, and I completely agree, you'll know the client's yeah. style. 
I would though also encourage when you've got those clients who are always like, come on, push me hard, want to smash mm. this out and let, let's go for it. Encourage them to also though stop and listen to their body because sometimes yeah. the client won't particularly well and you want to encourage them. It's like, yep, cool, we're going to go hard. However, you need to listen to how you're feeling. You need to tell me if this is becoming uncomfortable. If this is starting to hurt, you need to tell me. So encourage them to have that open conversation. So if they're feeling great, no problems, and they want to go hard, awesome. Encourage them to let you know so you can go harder. But make sure they feel comfortable that they can say, actually, no, that starts to feel uncomfortable. So they know when to pull back. And so they're actually listening to their own bodies so they can share that with you because you won't know until they until they're open with you. So again, I think it's that the relationship you have with the client and the communication you have with them is incredibly important. Get to know them as much as you can. Obviously, try to have those open conversations so you do get a sense of, okay, really, where is this person at today? How much can we we push them? How much do we need to pull back? And yeah, just continually work it out in each session, I guess. Gotcha. All right. I want to touch a little bit more on equipment, maybe a different side of things though. What if that equipment is faulty or it breaks, something like that, and maybe both scenarios, because I'm guessing it's a bit different. Let's say I'm a personal trainer. I run an outdoor boot camp. I bring a TRX um, down to training and a client's using that TRX and it snaps uh, or a resistance band or whatever it may be. Uh, and then same thing in the gym. Someone's in the uh, client's in the gym. They're training with the personal trainer. The personal trainer is doing everything right, but a cable snaps in the, the gym or whatever it may be. What what can you tell us there, Christy? Does that fall? Yeah, t- tell me your, your thoughts there. Look, it's hard to say how that would play out in terms of who would be liable when, yeah. when looking at the claim. That really becomes a legal thing and there's no one way that always happens. Now, yes, we've definitely seen injuries because equipment has failed. It's broken. Yeah. It's snapped. That definitely does happen. What would then happen is our claims managers, our lawyers who are looking after the case, and, and that's what you're paying guild insurance for, that's that's what they're there for, they will then investigate to say, well, was the equipment faulty? It might mm-hmm. be that the, the fitness centre or the trainer hasn't maintained their equipment, mm-hmm. or it could be that there was actually a fault in the design and, and manufacture of the equipment. So it's not always a clear case of who was at fault. I guess the key thing to think about here is, though, just to acknowledge that injuries definitely do occur because the equipment hasn't, I guess, ha, ha, the equipment has failed in some way. So so it can happen with any sort of equipment. So it's important for trainers and for centres to understand how does the equipment that they have need to be maintained? What do they need to look do to look after it? And what are the sorts of things when they're using it can increase the likelihood of it failing? So mm-hmm. things like sun coming into fitness centres, if the sun is always hitting, say, your Swiss balls or your resistance bands, that can impact the quality of the material and cause it to de- deteriorate quicker. Mm-hmm. So the same as if you're outside, if you're using equipment outside, the sun can impact things, but also if there's any sharp objects around, that could potentially cause damage. So always checking your equipment, making sure it's in good working order, check it after sessions. And if it's not looking great, don't take the risk in just keeping on going with it. I know people won't want to turn over equip- their equipment really quickly because that's costly, but you need to think of then it being costly in another way if a, if a client is injured because that equipment's failed in some way, mm-hmm. that's not going to be great for business either. So particularly if it's looked like you haven't maintained your equipment. So always make sure you're looking after it and always follow the manufacturer's guidelines in terms of how to look after it and how to maintain it because it definitely is a risk that we see. Gotcha. All right. I want to start to move on to record keeping. Before we do, I just want to make sure we haven't left any stones uncovered in terms of the actual session. I'll summarize what we've got here. So what we need to do initially is make sure we do our pre-screening, do our APSS, um, get any referrals if necessary, um, you know, target the, the exercise or make the exercises appropriate for the client. We make sure that not only is the exercise appropriate, but also the weight is appropriate. We need to make sure that we're checking our equipment and we need to make sure that we're using the equipment for what it's designed for. Anything out of those things there can be a bit of trouble. Before we move on to the record keeping, Christy, anything else we should cover there or are there any claims you see a lot of or significant a lot, uh, a significant amount of that don't necessarily fit in those? Oh, and obviously the, the checking the, the surfaces as well. Yeah. Look, one thing I guess I would like to add that kind of goes across all of those different areas you've talked about, so all of those different stages in terms of the process of what you do as a trainer. One thing I want people to really keep in mind is the importance of communication. Mm. Now, communication is a topic I talk about 
with all of the different um, professionals that we insure a guild, and it's really quite broad who we work with. And my message is always that you could be the best at what you do technically, but if your communication's not up to standard, you're probably going to have some problems. That's great. And I think sometimes people, because we all communicate all day, every day, and when I'm talking communication, I'm not just talking about verbally talking to someone. Mm. But communication could be if you're sending text messages to your clients, if you're emailing them information about exercises to do outside of sessions, um, if you're giving them written information about what to do outside of sessions, anytime you're sharing any information with them, anytime you're on social media about your programs, that's communication. Mm. I think sometimes because we do this all day, every day in different formats, we sometimes underestimate the importance of communication and we don't sometimes spend enough time analyzing how effective our communication is. So simple ways from a fitness perspective, if you're not really thinking about how well you're communicating how to perform a particular exercise to someone and say, take a fairly technical, difficult exercise, maybe performing deadlifts um, or, or squats, if you're not really clear on exactly what that technique needs to be and what the the client should be feeling and where they should be feeling it. If you're not explaining that particularly well, chances are your client's not going to know what to do and not going to do things properly. And that increases the risk of injury. Mm. It's also really important when you're communicating that in every profession out there in the world, we all have our own terms and acronyms and, and abbreviations. The language that trainers use, they're so familiar with. But you need to always remind yourself that when you're talking about your squats and your reps and your sets and your quads, not everyone knows what those words mean. Mm. Not everyone uses them in everyday language. So you need to be really clear. When you're talking about someone maybe feeling that exercise in their quads, remind them where their quads are, point to them. You might think everyone should know what their quads are, but that's making assumptions. Yeah. If you've got someone who's never really exercised before, you might have someone who's in, their English is a second language. There can be lots of different reasons why someone won't understand the language that is so familiar to you. So you need to make sure you're really explaining things clearly, demonstrating things, pointing to parts of the body that they should be feeling things in, putting them in front of mirrors so they can actually see what it is you're talking about in terms of when you're trying to explain to them that their technique's not right, they need to change it this way. Could you show them videos online that will help explain things? So really just think about how you're communicating to them what could go wrong if that communication isn't clear and how can you alter your communication to help them understand things because it really does play a huge role in what the client understands and therefore what the client does and doesn't do and obviously that's going to clearly impact the benefit they get and also the chance of them being injured. That's massive. I love that point for many different things. I'll share my take. Uh, I think communication is such a good skill anyway and I feel Mm -hmm. it's the bridge between how good you are at what you do and even just the take injury risk management aside, the results that your client's going to get at anything. Yep, let's use yep. let's use it as as fitness. That's great. You can have all the knowledge in the world. If you can't communicate that to that client, I might have half the knowledge that that person has. But because I'm a better communicator, my client will get better results. So I think that's massive, and that comes across many different um, things. There, I like how you also mentioned the different forms of communication. I'm always a fan of written communication, and we might speak to this when we get to record keeping, because at least you've got a a record of everything there as well, right? It's one thing to say, oh, I told that person that. But if there's no record of it, did you really tell them that? Mm. Um, And even just, even just, this might be a bit off topic, but just from a business side of things, the way I kind of run my business is there's got to be a system, a written system in place. If I ask an employee, you know, hey, did you do that? Uh, Or do you know how to do that? And if I haven't given them a step-by-step in written, it's just something I told them verbally, and I've got to expect them to remember that from six months ago when I told them, that's kind of on me. But if it's there written in place, then it's a bit more on them. That doesn't always carry across to fitness, but it's something to Mm. think about. Um, But I think a key thing, what you mentioned there with all day, every day, this is so important if you do a lot of like group fitness work, boot camp work, where you have similar clients. Because let's say I'm running a a boot camp, right? And let's say I've been running it for two years and I've got those same 20 people that have been coming to that boot camp for two years. I might might have said that thing every single week for two two years. And I might think, oh, I don't need to say it anymore. But all of a sudden there's a couple of new people coming in there. They haven't heard it like I've told it and and everybody else there. So I think that's an important thing to, um, uh, to, to think of there. But all right. 
Let's move on to record keeping, Christy, because I know that's a big one. And I'm guessing yeah. that's probably two sides of things as well. It's probably keeping a record of things in general so that if something does happen, you've got a record of it. Um, but also I'm guessing it comes into if there is an incident, how do we report it and, and keep records there? So run me through that. What do we need to do record yep. keeping? So firstly, I'd say also, having just spoken about communication, I see record keeping as a form of communication. And I yeah. don't think everyone thinks of them in this way. But what I try and encourage people to think about is, what you put in the records is almost your way of communicating back to yourself yeah. about what's actually taking place. But it's also, if something does go wrong, it can be how you then use that information to communicate to other people. So for things like incident reports, for example. So it is another form of your communication. Again, incredibly important part of communication. So records, I, I describe it, they're necessary for a few reasons. And I think the, the reasons for them are often not well understood. And quite often people talk about, well, we need records in case something goes wrong if someone tries to sue us. And yes, if there is a complaint made against you, if that comes to us at Guild Insurance, one of the first things we'll do is we'll ask to see some records. Mm -hmm. So we're going to want to know about that client, but also what you've been doing the sessions. But the other thing that's where your records become really important as a trainer, and this is, I guess, one thing that baffles me why when we see a lot of cases where trainers have no record of what they've mm -hmm. done in the session. Now, I understand sometimes for group fitness sessions, yep. that might be a bit different. You can't obviously have the detail for every individual client all the time, yep. but you still should have a record of what the group has done. Mm -hmm. But particularly when you're working one-on-one -on -one with a client, if you don't have details of every single exercise and including what weight they did and how many reps and how many sets, how can you as a trainer go into the next session, maybe the next week, and know what they did and know that they're improving or what they're building on? You're just going to be guessing the weight or the reps and the sets and everything next week. To me, it's your responsibility. People are coming to you to help them improve their fitness. So I think you have a responsibility in terms of that ongoing continuity of a service of what you're delivering to keep a record so you can each each week or each, each session when you see them, you've got that history of what they did. You know what they did. You can write down maybe if something was uncomfortable, if they didn't like something. So next session, you know what's appropriate to give them in terms of their exercises and you know if they're advancing or they're not advancing and then you can work out, do we need to change things? So it's about providing that appropriate professional service. You need a record to do that. But yes, as we also mentioned at the start, you do need records as that history if there is an allegation of something going wrong. So if we say to you, you know, someone's complained that I was, and we, we do see these cases, someone will complain that, you know, I was, I was given... Um, I had to do some weighted squats on Smith machine. It was quite heavy and I was doing, you know, 50K squats. And the trainer say, no way, that I wouldn't have them doing that. You know, haven't mm. been working too long. They're only doing 20Ks. Like, well, he said, she said, it's yeah. hard to prove. It's like, well, what's in the record? Oh, there's no record. But I wouldn't have them doing 50. I know I wouldn't have had them doing that, but I didn't write it down. Mm. So it's really hard to prove what actually did happen when nothing's written down. So yeah. it's important to have that history of exactly what took place. But the other record keeping that is incredibly important and unfortunately not done particularly well in the fitness industry is incident reports. Mm. So if someone has injured themselves, even if you don't think it seems that bad, yep. keep a record, but also make it really detailed. I've seen some incident reports yeah. where the, you know, the question is, you know, what happened? It says they fell over. Well, how did they fall over? What did they trip on? What did they fall did off? They fall? What yeah. did they injure? Give some detail because quite often what happens is, if there is some sort of claim for compensation, that can happen a couple of weeks, a couple of months down yeah. the track, and potentially it can take a, a long time to, to settle. It just depends how it plays out. Mm. Can't rely on your memory. You need to have as much detail as you can written down at the time, and that's what will support you, and that's also what helps us as an insurance company to defend you to say, well, this is the record from the session. We know exactly what exercise the person did. We know exactly what happened in that incident. We can show that they did that the exercise was appropriate and the response to the incident was appropriate. And that makes it much easier for us to say that the person wasn't negligent and did the right thing. Mm. So yeah, really can't emphasize enough how important record keeping is, but also I think it's important to stress to your listeners that unfortunately record keeping in the industry, what we've seen from in our claims isn't the standard that it should be. So I would encourage all of your listeners to really think about challenge themselves, go back and look over your records and think about if you were to hand those records to your insurance company, yeah. would it be really clear to us exactly what happened in that session in detail 
and exactly what happened if there was an incident. And if, if that information's not there, if you're going to rely on your memory to tell us what happened, then that's not good enough. The information needs to be documented in some way. That's great. That's one thing I really agree with because I had a situation early in my career, Christy, and I just got lucky. I was working at a gym and I think I was pretty new there at the time. And I'd just been taught the incident report system. And I used to just think that were uh, incident report, whatever, you know, Mm. Um, but they kind of drummed it into me. Hey, you have to do it. And there was a specific incident that occurred. We had, I don't know, it was 14 day, $14 membership or something. So we'd have all these new members coming in, but they didn't get any pre-screening. Usually our system was pretty tight. It was like, you come in, you get a pre-screen, you get a complimentary session, blah, 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 blah. But for this one, it wasn't, you know, so someone came in, I was working on the gym floor. They were like, Hey, how do I use the treadmill? I showed them how to use a treadmill. I was like, Hey, I probably wouldn't go above this pace here to start off, blah, 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 blah. You know, went away, helped someone else out. That person fell off the treadmill. All right. Mm. Um, and they did go, go faster or whatever. And then, you know, I sat them down, whatever, you know, filled out the report form, um, and was very diligent in it just because it was drummed into me like the week before. Usually I wouldn't, you know, but I was so diligent and, and, and kind of got those out where I was like, Hey, I told you not to go faster and you went faster. And they were like, no, nah, I know it's my fault. You know, it's not your fault. It's my fault. Blah, 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 blah. Like they were taking all the responsibility for it, you know? Um, and then even the end, there's always, there's, well, there's usually a form at the end of the report form, you know, what action did you take? And I remember my manager at the time said, hey, whatever, just always recommend they see a GP. Whatever happens, just say it. It's just, you've got something there and it, it covers you that little bit more. Um, anyway, a couple months later, I completely forgot about this incident, right? A couple months later, this guy comes straight back in and I think he had a lawyer or, or someone with him and they were like, hey, you know, there was an incident here a couple months ago, you know? Um, I think they spoke to my manager or whatever, but because the paperwork, like simplified version, I think that person was trying to change their story mm-hmm. and say that we were in the wrong, right? But because that incident report was so tight where that person pretty much said in the incident report or signed the incident report form that said, hey, you know, it was completely my fault. I didn't take that person's advice. I did the wrong thing, blah, 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 blah. Like nothing could be done. Like that saved me and, and the business. So I, I 100% agree with you there. Can I just add to that too? Because I think it's a really great example of the importance of the detail. Because mm. sometimes what also happens is you will get clients who say, and like this person did to you, I look at no, I'm fine. It's not that bad. Yeah. And sometimes they genuinely don't think they are that injured. Yeah. And sometimes what happens later, look, it, it could be that they're sort of trying it on, or it could be yep. that they realize actually this injury is more than I thought. Sometimes yeah. it, you know, just after they've exercised, they may not be feeling it too much. It's still saw a week or two later, they go to the doctor and they realize it's actually a lot more serious than what they thought it was. Mm. And they realize, actually, this is going to impact me. Just say, for example, you've got someone who's a tradie and self-employed. Yeah. Suddenly they realize, actually, I thought I'd be fine, but I've now had three weeks off work and no income. Yeah. And they may not be really blaming you, saying that you were terrible in what you did. They might yeah. know, well, okay, accidents happen, but yeah. I'm really out of pocket here and I need some financial compensation. Yep. So sometimes their claims are quite, I guess, reasonable and legitimate where, where it's coming from from them. But at the time, they might have said, "Look, or thought, and genuinely thought to themselves, look, this isn't too bad. I don't think, don't, don't worry about things. We don't need instant report.' A month later, actually, I'm still not walking properly, and I still can't work. So, yeah. regardless of what the client says in terms of it's not that bad, I think your example is perfect in terms of the importance of keeping a documented, detailed, mm-hmm. documented report of everything that's happened, just in case, because you never know how things are going to play out, and things can change over time. So it's a, it's a really great example, I think, there. Yep. And I'll add as well, because of that, that's why I love incident report form. So I'm always super strict with them mm-hmm. now, you know. And uh, I remember that same position, an incident happened uh, you know, a couple months later or whatever, and the person just kind of walked off, like before we could fill out a report, uh, a form. Yep. Um, but what, and I spoke to my manager at the time and they were like, no, nah, no, nah, just write it down in as much detail as you can. Even if that person didn't sign it, okay, it obviously doesn't have as much power, but at least for your own records. If that yeah. was to come back, I've got my own records that can say, hey, on this date here, this is exactly what happened. This is exactly what I did. That's exactly da-da-da-da. Way better than just trying to remember on on my head out, especially in that job where you're on the yep. gym floor and you're seeing hundreds of people a week come through. So, And that's a really important point too in terms of people's memory and when, it, when these cases mm. then sometimes play out, when you've got a client who's done maybe one session in a week, compared to a trainer who's seen seen multiple clients every day, 
sometimes the client can be a little bit more, seem a little bit more credible in terms of what they believe because they're only trying to remember one session. And if they yeah. were injured, that session's that injury is going to hold a lot of weight to them. So the chance yeah. of that client remembering that one session compared to the trainer remembering that one session out of all the sessions in a day, let alone the week and the month, yeah. someone will, you know, often the client will seem the more credible witness in terms of what they believe. Doesn't mean it's always correct, but that's just sometimes how it can play out, unfortunately. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, we'll uh, we're a bit short on time, so we'll start to wrap this up, Christy. No worries. Uh, anything I I should have asked you in terms of risk management that I forgot to, or anything you wanted to finish us off with? No, I think we've covered it all. I think it's been a great conversation. It's it's yeah, you know, I've really enjoyed sharing a lot of this information with you. So no, I think we've covered everything. It's been great. Awesome. All right. And if there's a trainer listening to this and they're interested in in getting learning more about Guild or getting insured with Guild, where do we go? Who do we speak to? So guildinsurance.com.au, you can just go on there and find out, get some information there. And there'll be phone numbers. You can get information online and you can apply for policies online, but you can also just give us a call as well and get some information. I would really encourage people to think about the importance of insurance. It's easy to think about things. It's easy to think that things won't go wrong, but I think as we've highlighted today, it's very easy for things to go wrong. And you, you never know how that will play out in terms of that client and what they might complain about. So this is your livelihood. This is your profession. It really is important to protect that and to look after yourself. So I would encourage you if you if you don't have insurance or if you're not sure if you've got the right insurance, not sure if you're covered for exactly what is you're doing, please do look into it. Love it. Awesome. All right, Christy, thank you for your time. No worries. Thanks, Jono. Thank you for listening. If you liked this show, share it with your friends, subscribe on iTunes, and leave us a five-star review. For show notes and free training on how to grow your fitness business, visit www.fitnesseducationonline.com.au. Are you a fitness professional looking to provide your clients with personalized meal plans? Well, check out Mealsy, the ultimate solution for creating custom meal plans in just a few simple clicks. With Mealsy, you can say goodbye to countless hours spent on meal planning. Our Australian meal planning web app is designed to save you time and effort so you can focus on what really matters, your clients and their success. Mealsy provides you with a vast library of recipes all created by nutrition professionals. From breakfast to dinner and everything in between, we've got you covered. Whether you want to create a custom meal plan tailored to your client's needs or choose from our selection of ready-made meal plans, Mealsy has the flexibility to accommodate your preferences. So why waste precious time and energy creating meal plans from scratch? Let Mealsy do the heavy lifting for you while you focus on delivering exceptional fitness services. Join the community of fitness professionals who have revolutionized their business with Mealsy. Visit our website at www.mealsy.com and sign up today. Mealsy, the smarter way to meal plan for fitness professionals.